So Revelation is apocalyptic in its genre. So when I talk about genre of scripture, uh, the Bible isn't, you can't just read the Bible and say, okay, yeah, I'm reading the Bible, it's the Bible, and this is going to teach me and tell me what, what I need to know and do. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, properly studying the Bible and parsing it out is to understand that it's written in different genres. What could be more of a history book uh, in one section and a poem in another and a song in another, uh, it, it would be like saying, babe, I have this incredible love letter for you, and then you opening a history book and reading, on uh, this day, uh, you know, October uh, 1500, and, you know, she would be like, what are you doing? Why are you reading me a history book? You're supposed to be reading me a poem or a love letter or something, right? That would be the same as saying to your wife, I have this incredible letter or thing to read you, and then you reading her a history book, okay? So people... (laughs) that are reading scripture not understanding these genres, you may be reading a history book and you're taking it like a poem. And, or vice versa, you're reading a poem, and I think this probably happens more, and you're taking it like a history book. And you're like, this happened! And it's like, no, that's a, like a poem. Or that's like a love letter, or uh, that's a vision, or that's like saying, uh, yeah, a song. it's a song and you think it's historical, No. So you have to understand that the Bible is written in different genres, and it's important for us to understand that, so so we take them as such. And not necessarily what is written, it it should be taken literally more metaphorically, where this is a metaphor for something else. And so the way we really define that is we understand it in its context. We read the book of Revelation and we go, okay, this is, we believe Of course, not everybody agrees on these things, but what I'm telling you is kind of where I land on it. Uh, This is the Apostle John writing this book, right? The same guy who wrote the other gospel and who wrote the other three. We, we, We believe that this is the Apostle John, and he's writing it from the Isle of Patmos, and he's having visions. It's apocalyptic. The same kind of thing happened in the Old Testament, where these prophets were given visions of things that they saw, and then we see them actually come to fruition and happen. Uh, and the way it comes to, to, to be, so to speak, uh, and plays out aligns with that vision, but it's not like tit for tat, so to speak. Um, so anyway, some of them are meant to be cryptic, and some of them are not. Some of them have uh, actually been revealed, and some things haven't been revealed. So, uh, but it's important to understand this genre. And I don't know that there's uh, a genre, apocalyptic writings, that could be more misunderstood than that of end-time prophecy. Uh, and we have to, like, wise as serpents, harmless as doves, right? We have to understand that people write these books and these series series and they make these movies right bad English but you get what I'm saying and it's like they're doing it because you know they're trying to make a living I get it you know like they want to sell books so they don't want to write something that's not going to sell so we put a little of our own you know matology or whatever in it and it and it sells you know so we have to really dis- the Bible says this rightly dividing the word of truth so I'm I'm very I'm slow especially in this season of my ministry, uh, I used to be like, man, this is exactly what I believe, you know, rapture, seven-year tribulation, and that's Daniel's 70th week prophecy, and ah, I'm a lot less that way 
now than I was then. A lot less. I mean, I've thrown the brakes on. Like, if I could pull a biblical e-brake, I've pulled it. You know what I mean? And, like, even probably slammed up against a wall or two. Um, because the more I learn, I think we're defining black and white by gray areas, right? And we're defining other things that should be black and white, and, and we shouldn't. Uh, so, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I think I said that backwards, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, you get it. You get it. Moving on. Uh, man, I almost said something. Uh, yeah, anyway, like a political speech. You get it. Anyway. Uh, so, um, moving on before I say something I shouldn't. The point is, the point is, what is the point? The point is, I don't know what the point is. No. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's apocalyptic. We, we need to be, uh, we need to major on these things a little bit less. We, we need to see what the Lord has for us within the text on things that we don't have to make leaps to get there uh, theologically and interpretively. And so we want to use sound uh, judgment. So I'm going to take this passage of scripture this morning and I'm going to apply it to our church. Because seven letters were written in the beginning of this book to seven churches. So I'm not going to say this morning what I think that means and how... Uh, you know, this is probably this age, and that's that age. I'm, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to say that these are seven letters written to seven churches, and we know that those seven churches were actually real churches during that time frame. Uh, so we're not going to jump around this prophetically. We're just going to say what it says, and, and we're going to glean from it what the Lord has for our church at this moment. That's how I'm going to approach it. All right, you good? All right, cool. All right, God bless. <sighs> and I'm going to try to do it in the next 30 minutes. Hmm. So Revelation has many Old Testament references that are direct thoughts and quotes from other apocalyptic Old Testament writers, which that's pretty neat. If you go through the book of Revelation, this is some free stuff for you guys that want to dig in. But if you go through the book of Revelation and write and circle those things that are direct quotes from the Old Testament, I think that you'll find it's pretty neat. Uh, and, and the lines that correlate, Cody actually did a little bit of it during his week on Ezekiel, seeing that the same vision that was happening in Ezekiel, Ezekiel we see happening in the book of Revelation. So anyway, but as I see the purpose for Revelation, it's mainly for the present people that John the Apostle was writing to. So he had a purpose in writing this book that was relevant for them in that day. We can't really overstate that. Why? Because most people in the church age approach this in our age. I just showed my cards there, a little dispensationalism. But the, the point is, is here in this room, it's like all going to happen. It's all this. Pr- no. Like so much of this was for the church then, for, for those people. And we're going to see that. Um, the, the Bible was written in a common Greek language for common people to understand. Once again, this isn't like me, uh, you know, trying to sell my books here. I'm just trying to help our church people grow. That's like my goal a lot in life. So my, my goal is to say to you, this book was written to people to help them during that day. This book is written to you to help you. And, and that's why it's preserved in our language today. That's why we have a copy. That's why we can go to the word of God. And that's why we can read, not to discern some crazy far out plan, but to help you today, to help you tomorrow, to help you raise your children. Uh, poor thing, man. Let's say a word of prayer for Jack. No, but it, it is for us now. And I, and I think, once again, 
let's not get wrapped up in all of the things that are prophetic, that are for down the road, and miss what helps us today. It's infinitely more important for you to be helped today than for you to have some sort of biblical understanding of future things. People in the church think it's infinitely more important for me to understand how all of this is going to play out. AKA, you got a little anxiety much? Everything's going to be okay. What's important is for you to be able to reach people tomorrow, for you to have a good marriage today, for you to be able to raise your children in 2020. That's what's important. And, and look no further than the Bible, and I think you'll see that. Anyway. Oh, Revelation 1, 17 through 20. Let's read. I digress. 17 through 20. Revelation 1, verse 17. Read it with me. Uh, you can read along. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, I think the church needs these two words. You ready? Fear not. Is there a more relevant two words for the church than right now? Hey, church, hey, hey, look here. Fear not. Why? Why wouldn't I fear? I mean, shoot, if I was caught up in some kind of apocalyptic vision, being exiled on the island of Patmos, moved to right, I'd be scared to death. But he says, hey, fear not. Why? I am the first and I'm the last. This is kind of what I just said. Are, are y'all worried about how this thing's going to play out? Guess what? Don't be scared. I got it from the beginning all the way to the end. And guess what that means? Everything in between. We're covered. We're good. How am I going to raise my kids? How am I going to have a decent marriage? How am I going to do good at this job? Hey, fear not. Some of y'all need to write that on your mirrors. You need to spray paint that on your car or something. I don't know, whatever. Fear not. I'm, I'm, I've been here like before you were here. I'm going to be here long after the devil's gone. Fear not. All right, let me keep going. This is why my messages take too long. I am he that liveth and was dead. We could unpack that for a while. That's insane. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen. And the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. Watch this, he explains it. The seven stars are the angels, or messengers, or pastors, right? Angels of the seven churches. And the, the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the what? Seven. All right, there it is. Glad he pulled the curtain back on us for, for that. There, there are seven churches that he's going to write to. Now, I think this makes sense. I, I read one commentator this week that said that these churches, if you look at it in, in the Roman provinces where they would have been, it really kind of is, is descriptive of a mailing route. So the way these letters would have gone in circulation is that they are circulatory in nature, meaning this letter that we're about to read to Ephesus was also meant for the other ones to read, the other seven churches, and that these seven churches are in seven places where the mail or the message or the letters would have been taken and proclaimed, therefore would have reached the church as a whole from this region. I think that's a fair, good, good assumption 
that these seven churches are in seven strategic locations, but I also believe that each one had a specific struggle and was a specific church. Um, not necessarily one age or one, once again, we're leaving that part uh, unknown, but I'm, I'm saying they were seven churches, seven churches that each one of them have something for us to learn from. There was like one good one, maybe two, uh, but one good one out of the seven. Six were pretty bad. Um, so the title of today's message, right, I can't take full credit. Cody helped me with the title on this one. Uh, the title of the message is How to Get a Better Letter. How to Get a Better Letter. So if these seven churches were given a letter from the Lord, and John wrote the letter down, I thought to myself this week, what would ours say? If God were to write Bethlehem a letter, what would be written inside? And I thought to myself, I kind of got consumed with that thought this week, and I was like, I want to get a good one. I, I want to get a good letter. How many want to have a good letter? Yeah. So last week, I preached, this, the title of last week's message was, Why Gather? So we're having just a few messages here on us and gathering and getting back in the swing of things. And which, by the way, that one's airing on Facebook today. There's a week delay online. So that, anyway. And we'll put that message up on our YouTube channel tomorrow. So if you didn't catch that message last week, if you weren't here, you won't be able to, you're obviously not watching it right now. So you can go to our YouTube channel and watch last week's message. And you should. Very important why we should gather. But when we gather and when we're doing like stuff that the church does, I want to do it well. I want to, like, like Paul, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Like, you did the thing, bro. Like, I want that. I desire that. And I feel like half this message and half my time as a pastor is just, like, poking and prodding to see if the church people feel the same way. Do you really care if the Lord, like, is cool with what you're doing? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we've reached this state in the church of, like, apathy. Well, if I get there, I get there. If I don't, I don't. I made one out of five. <laughs> I, like, I'm like, I, I, I just want a good letter. I, I mean, I'll be there every time. I'll do whatever it takes. And obviously, I've given my life to the church. But the point is, is I care. I, I want a good letter. I, I want a good report. I want God to say, man, you did the thing. I gave you some tools, I, I gave you some gifts, and you used them all as much as you could. You screwed up here and there. I don't know that God would say that, but you get my point. However God would say it. But, but you did good. I just, hey, the title of today's message, how to get a better letter, if, if you're curious. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the seven letters that were given to these seven different, seven different churches, and we're going to see what went wrong for them, and then I'm going to take all seven, and I'm going to pull out some points for us on taking some pointers from the letters. See, this is like the, ba right, I was the baby of the family. Anybody, any babies of the family in here? Yeah, so what we did is we watched our older brothers and sisters make those mistakes, and we were like, 
got them. And we flew under the radar. I mean, just flew <laughs> under the radar. We're like, yeah. And all you middle children, I see you snarling because you were just left in the, in the, in the, the unknown tundra. To, you didn't do it to them, and you for sure didn't do it to them. And you're still bitter about all the things that have taken place in your childhood. I'm praying for you. Release it now. Let the Holy Spirit heal your hurt heart. But, but we babies of the family, we we like watched, you know what I mean? We knew what to do, what not to do. Listen, we have a severe advantage in 2020. We got seven letters here, some that did well and some that did really bad. And we can look at those letters that were written to the churches and we can, we can do better. We can get a better letter and God could, could, we could use what he had told those folks so that we don't make the same mistakes. But unfortunately, the thing that we learn from history is that we often don't learn from history. But I don't want it to be said that I didn't say to you, hey, we should do it differently if we're going to get a better letter. So here's the seven churches. The first one, chapter 2, verse 1. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. We're, I'm going to do this quick. We're going to go through this. Chapter 2, verse 1, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, I write, this church was the loveless. I've titled this one the loveless church, their letter. If it had a heading, it would be, hey, loveless church. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them what? Liars. These people had real good BS filters, right? They were like, yeah, mm-hmm, right? And hast borne and hast what? Patience. For my namesake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have what? Somewhat against thee. I got something against you. What is it? Because thou hast left thy first what? Mm -hmm. Here's what happened. The letter that was written to the church at Ephesus was this, if I could just summarize. You guys take your job really seriously. It was probably a church of like firstborns, right? <laughs> Speaking of birth order, I don't know how I got on that. But they took their job super serious. The Bible says that they, in their letter, they could sniff out a false teacher like nobody's business. Oh, you think you're an apostle coming up in here trying to get a love offering? No, I don't, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Though that's, nope, that's a charlatan. The Bible says that they were really good at what they did. They had perfected the work of the ministry, but forgot why they fell in love with it to begin with. I think every marriage comes to this point. It's like, man, we went through that honeymoon phase, and now we're just running. We're just raising kids, you know. We're just doing things that have an eternal value, you know. But we just can't really get excited about it anymore. That's this church. The letter written... To Bethlehem, I don't ever want it to be said that we've forgotten our first love. That's, that's the first letter. Letter number one to the church at Ephesus. Man, you guys, you know your stuff. But you're a little too concerned about your stuff more than the reason why you're doing your stuff. Hey, we need, we need volunteers. We need people to get together. We know, right? Pastor Matt's on a vision kick. Here we go. But if we're not careful, man, we're going to get a year into this thing, and we're going to go, man, we haven't even picked up for air. Man, we haven't prayed in a month. We haven't read our Bibles. Like, serving is extremely important, 
Bible study is extremely important, but relationship is more important. The second letter, and under the angel of the church of Smyrna, verse 8, going into verse 9, I know thy works. We're going to just quickly go through these. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blaspheming of, blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but, the synagogue, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Don't fear it. Behold, the devil uh, shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye have tribulation. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. If we titled this letter written to this church here at Smyrna, it would be the persecuted church. Number one, the loveless church. Number two, the persecuted church. He says, look, it's going to get rough, just so you know. It's going to get bad. You're going to go through some things. Hey, be faithful to me unto the end. You know, there are people in churches that deal with this today. There are websites, there are organizations devoted to letting people know that there is still a persecuted church in the world. We got it so easy. Can you imagine? This is like a letter that if it was written to our church, I'd be like getting up in the pulpit. I'm being facetious, but I'd get up here in the pulpit and say, all right, we just got our letter. You ready? Let's read it together what the Lord says. Many of you are going to die in the next 10 days. Don't fear. Just stay faithful. I'd look up and everybody would be gone. (laughs) I'd be like, "Uh, all right. May that never be said about our church. May we always be ready to go through what the Lord has for us, even if that means persecution. What's the third letter? Chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, I have a few things, verse 14, against thee. Because uh, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit what? Fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which you'll see that several times. Seems like a theme and, and scholarship Many say that it's this specific type of corruption that you can associate with the doctrine of Nicolaitans. Which things, verse 15, I hate. So you're going to see a progression here. So we have a loveless church. We have a persecuted church. And here we have the letter turns towards the church at Pergamos, and we have a compromising church. He he says, "I, I have somewhat against you. Why? For the stumbling block. So we're going to see this progression here. And, and I, would, I would hope, and we'll hit it a little bit in a minute, but I would hope that when there are things that get to a stumbling block issue, you say, what does that mean? It means like it's not necessarily a right or wrong thing, but it's something that you're doing that's causing someone else to stumble, a stumbling block. That you're, you're doing something, you're acting in such a way that is maybe keeping a coworker from coming to Jesus, maybe because of, your need to act a certain way that may or may not be a right or wrong issue, but if you were to make an adjustment, they would come to the Lord. We see here, I would call this corruption. I'm sorry, the, the compromise, the compromising church. So seeing here that there were things that they were doing that led to sin. Look at the next letter, verse number 18. And under the angel of the church of Thyatira write, Verse uh, 18, go to verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast suffered 
that women Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit what? Fornication. And to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So to me, we have a compromising church, and then we have a full-blown corrupt church. We, we, we literally, in this corrupt church, the woman Jezebel calleth herself a prophetess, teaching and seducing my servants to commit fornication. You know, if we don't catch it at the stumbling block stage, if we don't catch it with a spirit of compromise, we're headed to corruption. We're headed there. So I think, like, I was talking to the earlier service about this. To me, it's like parents that they let things go that they shouldn't let go. You know what I mean? It's like we, we suffer from this thing of discernment. Like we don't know what to discern in our, in our own children's lives to say, yeah, I'm, we're not doing that. Why? Because if we did that, that's a compromise that would lead to corruption. That happens in the church. Within the church, if, if we don't make clear what is right and wrong, what is black and white, compromise is going to lead to corruption. And if we don't have this on lockdown in our families, then we don't have it in lockdown in our churches. Does that make sense? Well, we just go through the motions. We come to church and, and you know, we, we praise the Lord and all that stuff. I mean, that's all great. But if you're not teaching your children what the Bible says on how to live, then you're headed to compromise and you're headed to corruption. I think, you know, I'm thinking about this thing of fornication that it says. Follow me here. It's often when you study any type of like pagan culture, pagan worship, I mean, it, you can't separate those things from sexual sin. You just can't. Like they go hand in hand. And I just, I was thinking to myself like within the church, there is so much sexual sin, so much fornication in, in, in our society. And, and it's a fine line, right? You you want people to come. You want to reach the lost. You, you want to, you know, be a hospital for the broken. But yet we don't want to compromise truth. If, if we're doing it the right way, our discipleship should lead people to God, which means we're leading them to holiness. We're leading them to separation. I've been in churches in times past that are, more fundamental churches where that means like, you know, you dress a certain way and that's like the level of your, how good are you doing? Well, what color is your tie or, you, you know what I mean? Like how long, well, they've only been coming for two or three months. You know, I give it another month in their discipleship and they'll have a suit on. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's not discipleship. You know, it, it's, it's really not. The, but the point is, is there is a line, right? There is a line where our lifestyle should be different. Where we shouldn't be living how we want to live, but we're living according to God's word. So where's that line? Well, sin. <laughs> Corruption. What did that look like for them? Fornication. And so I, I just want to encourage you, use this moment to say, teach your kids that it's important that they don't engage in sex outside of marriage. Teach your children to live in such a way that like this is, this is right and this is wrong. And don't be scared. 
Like, a compromise leads to corruption. We, we have a ton of folks in this generation that are dealing with the effects of compromise. When are we going to draw the line? When are we going to be the parents to stand up and say, no, not my kids? When are we going to teach our children that that's wrong? Like, you don't engage in that in your relationships, and it's not pleasing to the Lord. You know, that it's, I know it's not popular preaching, but compromise leads to corruption. And this church had, they were corrupt. It was running amok. You know, we've had situations in our church where even the elders, we, we've, had, we've gone to some folks and we've said, hey, it's not okay. We, I mean, you don't know it collectively as the whole because we were discreet about it. But it's important to live in such a manner that's holy and that's right. If not, what are we doing? It's fake. It's a facade. What we're doing here should be true in such a way that it carries weight, in such a way that it reflects Christ. If not, it's a compromise. And if it's a compromise, that compromise will lead to what? Corruption. These are the letters that we're, that we're reading. Okay, lead balloon. <laughs> I don't think it's any uh, coincidence. Look at the next one. You ready? Chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church of Sardis. Man, thank God we got out of that Pergamus place and that Thyatira place. Man, they're all running around with each other. It's crazy. Well, what's going on at the church of Sardis? Well, this is what's going on. These things saith he, verse 1, chapter 3, that had the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art what? Compromise leads to corruption, which, le which leads to what? Death. Man, God help. I just want a better letter. Well, it's not going to be that difficult to get a better letter than those guys. <laughs> Y'all did. Man. I wonder how many churches across America, if God were to write them a letter, he would be like, yeah, I haven't got a spiritual pulse from y'all. The spirit, it ain't been in your presence in yeah, 10 years. At what point? I mean, does that not terrify you? I'm just like, man, I don't want to go through the motions. Shut it down. You know what I'm saying, DJ? Circle the wagons. Katie, bar the door. I'm done with this. Like, I don't want it to be dead. But that's what happens when we compromise. What's the next one? I like this one. This is a good one. We'll, we'll move the church to Philadelphia. Chapter 3, verse 7. And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour, uh, from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. If I were to give this church a title, it would be the faithful church. Their letter was, you all are faithful. You all are enduring. I'm going to be there with you. Because you have been faithful. Verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. Here's the seventh letter. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, I know thy works, verse 15. Thou art neither what? Cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. 
y'all make me sick. That's what the Lord said in his letter. You don't get excited about nothing. You don't get mad about nothing. Blah. Lukewarm. What a letter. That's what I'm going to write to my wife tomorrow. Babe, you're neither cold nor hot. It's really working for me. Said no husband ever. She would be like, bleh. How's that letter for you? All right, guys, this is going to work, I promise. This is great. Baby, <laughs> nobody wants a letter like that. Y'all, how do we get a better letter? I want a good one. I, I mean, we got seven letters here. We have seven things, seven, seven different things that we can draw principles from, seven different letters that we can analyze. And I know you'll go and spend hours this week analyzing these letters and trying to be better and get a better one. Uh, but I already did that for you. So let's talk about how we can make it better. Uh, if I am the angel or the messenger in our church, I wonder how God would send it to us. I wonder how we would get that letter. You know what I mean? How would he speak to us today? How would that vision be revealed? But I just, I, I want it to be better. Look at Revelation 3, and we'll launch from here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 and 22. He summarizes, right? Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are the letters to the churches, and he summarizes it this way. Listen, it's not all doom and gloom, you understand? It's, it's not all, yeah, you're dead, yeah, you're corrupt, yeah, yeah, your church, no good, uh-uh. Listen, listen to this. Here's the launching point. Revelation 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Some of y'all need to just wake up and be thankful that we have a God that rebukes and chastens. I mean, we have a generation of kids who don't know what it's like to be rebuked and chastened. I mean, think about this. Think about this idea for a second. What if a teenager from first century AD 100 church was poof to 2020? And be like, that'd be a cool movie, huh? And then what if that teenager got up and walked down to teen time and set in with this current generation? What would they say? And be like the ones like, my goodness, they sent me back. That was good. The one be like, shoot, man. My mom cut my phone off. She didn't pay my bill this month. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, why? Well, you know, she's doing that thing again. A phone? They would be like <laughs> taking them out and stoning them in the parking lot. They'd be like, this is not good. This is not a church. Would they even recognize the faith that ties them together? Would, would we be even recognizable to a first century church, a first century Christian, if they were to walk in the doors and sit down and see what we do, what we go through? Would there even be a connection to a letter? Would they be like that this is even an address for God to send a word to? Or would we be so foreign? Or would the worship be something that unites? Or would the word of God be something that unites? Would they find a place here because it's the same God? It's the beginning and the end. I hope so. Or have we become so corrupt and so far from in our own fat bellies of Americans where we're so satisfied with status quo? God help us, man. 
may we get a better letter. Well, (laughs) as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, thank God. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You ready? This is where the word comes to us. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and I am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him what? Hear what the Spirit saith what? To the churches. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? If the Spirit is the one speaking to the church, if the Spirit of God, the very thing, the down payment, the earnest for our salvation is now living inside of us, listen, the Spirit that was speaking then is the same Spirit that's speaking now, and at this moment, we can repent, we can turn, we can be chastened, we can get a better letter. You see where I got there? The Spirit of the Lord is speaking. And guess what? If you got the Spirit of the Lord in your heart this morning, He can speak to you. He can change you. He can change me. He can bring us together to be what we ought to be. All right, so I took these seven letters and I formulated it into a few ideas for us. Are you ready? There's a theme of like seven in Revelation. A theme of seven things, seven candlesticks, seven, you know, letters, seven churches, right? There's a theme of seven. So I have seven things. I have four don'ts and three do's. Are you ready? To stay with the theme, four things that we shouldn't do to get a better letter, and three things that we should do. Are you ready? This is so we get a better letter. Here's the, app, the, the application, the practical part of me reading these letters in order to get a better letter. Number one. These should sound familiar to what we just read and went over. Don't let a good thing take you from the main thing. Hey, church, as we brainstorm here together on how to get a better letter as a church, let's not let a good thing take us from the main thing. What, what do you mean? Well, the, the church, the loveless church, right, the first one, they were really good at what they did and doing good things, but they forgot the main thing. How do we get a better letter, Pastor Matt? How do we nail this thing down? How do we move forward? Well, we move forward by not letting the good stuff get in the way of the main stuff, the main thing, simply Jesus. If we are to serve together, if we are to come together, we all have to come together in one mind, one accord, one spirit. And that's that we're doing this thing for a relationship. We're doing this thing because God wants us to. I've seen, if I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times. And, of course, personality has a lot to do with it. But people, they get tethered to their position and what they do at church. And they lose sight of why they do it. If we're going to get a better letter, we're not going to let the good stuff get in the way of the main stuff. Relationship is always better than rules. You understand? Number one. And, and mind you, the good stuff is important. Sometimes I feel like I'll be happy as a pastor if people will just do the good stuff every now and Well, the main thing will come later. No, we can't do that. We have to disciple from the top down. Listen, if this isn't coming from a place of love for your Savior, a place of adoration. I struggle with Christians who aren't faithful. I do. I'm being real with you. I struggle with Christians who 
don't lay it all on the line. Why? Because that's how I am. I would risk everything because I live a life of risk. It's my personality. I struggle with people who conserve. It's just who I am. But at the same time, I'm like, look, don't you know what Jesus did for you? And I got to keep myself in check because not everybody is in the same place. And if, and if I'm not careful, guess what? I'm the loveless church, walking and stepping on people. <laughs> Ain't none of y'all deserve to be here. Well, neither do I, right? So it's important for us to all be here for the right reason. Number one, what will get us a better letter? Well, keeping the main thing the main thing. And not letting good things get in the way of the main thing. Number two, and these things are good like in general. They'll transcend even this context. Relationships are better than regulation. Number two, don't let outward problems get an inward position. Don't let outward problems get an inward position. James 1, 2 through 3, I'm going to hit on this. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Wait a minute. <laughs> Don't let a what? Yeah. Don't let outward problems get an inward position. What are you saying? Well, there was a letter to the persecuted church. A, a letter to the, the persecuted church. A letter that says all of these things are going to go massively wrong on the outside. And God said what? Hey, be faithful. Hey, church, let me tell you something, man. This gets me all kind of excited. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into it. My brethren, hey, it's okay just because life around you is falling apart doesn't mean life inside of you has got to fall apart. Yeah, we're going through a pandemic. Yeah, we got problems in our nation. Yeah, we can't agree on a candidate. It's okay. You know what? All the things that are going on on the outside don't have to go on on the inside. Son, how do we get a better letter? Don't let outward problems have an inward position. Sometimes it's the simplest message that makes the most impact. But I'm watching, watch, I'm watching our kids live fearful lives. Why? Because our parents are living fearful lives. If you haven't picked up your son or daughter lately and told them that everything's going to be okay, everything's fine, listen, sweetheart, we're going to go through stuff. It's been John 16, these things have I written on you that believe. What? You're going to go through tribulations. You're going to go through trials. In this world, but be of good cheer. What? I've overcome the world. He's promised that we're going to go through these things, but he's also promised that we're going to make it through. Don't let outward things find an inward place. Man, I don't know that there's a more important one for this hour and this time in the church. Count it all. Joy. Are you happy about what's happening? Well, sure I am. You know, kids are like a mirror. You think you say that, but your kids are saying otherwise. Don't let outward problems have an inward position. Count it all joy. Listen, we can be happy about the things that we can't control because we know the one who's controlling it. This is, this is black and white doctrine. I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He told it to John. Hey, it's all good. It's going to be all right. Listen, if you haven't had anybody tell you this lately, listen to your pastor. It's going to be okay. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. 
Never a friend like Jesus. That's an old song, but it's good. He's got it. He's got it. Don't let outward problem. Turn on the news if you need another problem. Don't let an outward problem get an inward position. I can hear it all day. Pastor, how do you deal with all that? <laughs> it doesn't have to get in here. I protect this. Paul said, I renew the inward man daily. Y'all be trying to, y'all, that's what it is. You're renovating the wrong place. Y'all are hiring painters and, and, and you're making the house look beautiful and you're doing all these things and all it is is retail therapy. I just got to have something else on the outside to do. Why? Because your inside's trashed. Paul said, I renew the inward man. Why don't you hire the Holy Spirit for a day to go on inside and paint the barn? I'm just saying. Count it all joy. I can be happy in any. Paul, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. I can sit in the chaos and I'm good. Why? Outward problems don't have to have an inward position. If there's anything that will give us a better letter, it's that. The third thing. Remember, I got four don'ts. Don't let outward problems get an inward position. Number three. Ooh, this is a good one. Don't allow gray areas to affect black and white. Don't allow gray areas to affect black and white. What do I mean? Well, corruption, the compromise led to corruption, which led to the death of a church. We're good. Listen, the devil, if he's the father of all, of all lies, I said this earlier, he's really good at what he does. So he gets us down a path of worrying about the gray areas, and then we forget about what's black and white. For instance, the book of Revelation. For instance, our theology. We go crazy about the stuff that really doesn't matter. And then the things that do matter, that are commanded in Scripture, we don't do. We need to focus on non-negotiables. If you're a parent, I'm hitting this a lot this morning, I don't know why, but it's where the Holy Spirit's taking me. If you're a parent and your children don't know what the black and white rules are in your home, there's your first problem. If you're, if you're hollering and yelling about all the things that they're doing, you're worried about the manifestation of the problem. You're focused on the gray and not the black and white. And we do this in church. We divide over tier three theological issues when we could unite under Christ and get more things done. Do you, do you understand? You following me? God said, listen, the things you should be worrying about, you're not. Therefore, look what's happening in your church. It's a hot mess. Listen, let's not, let's focus on what is important, right? And here it is. Don't allow gray to affect the black and white, corruption and false doctrine. Don't make excuses for your sin. You know what I mean? Don't make excuses for it. If it's sin, what's the challenge at the end of these letters? Repent. Change it. There's no need to redefine an area that is clearly defined in Scripture. Rather than say, well, son or daughter, it's okay. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and you start redefining things because you don't want to admit where you were wrong. What are we doing? We're letting a gray area define black and white when all you need to do is just repent and do what's right in the beginning. How do we get a better letter? If it's black and white, 
do what the Bible says. Simple. If you have a question about what the Bible says, come ask me. We'll talk about it. I don't know what black and white is. How many roadmaps are you working on right now? Like a hundred, six. In our discipleship curriculums, how to study your Bible, how to pray. What are the rest of them? Put you on the spot here, sir. Giving, how to give, how to gather. Why we do what we do. How to reach out. We're working hard on instructing you what black and white is. All right? Let's not redefine. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. How do we get a better letter? The last don't. And then you get the three do's, which are quick, and then you get out. Number four, don't do things for the sake of doing them. The lukewarm church, the lukewarm letter, you're neither cold nor hot. You make me sick. You're pretty much a vomit chunk to me. <laughs> what a great letter. Church, like, where do we go from here? You know, like, how do we, how do we make an impact for the kingdom of God? Like, how do we get a good letter? You know what I'm saying? Well, consider these points. And the last don't, don't just do something for the sake of doing it. Remember why. Everybody just do, do this with me, this little exercise. Think about where you were before Jesus found you. Think about where your heart was. Think about the mess that we were in before we met the cross. <laughs> and everybody says, I can't wait for nursery to be back in. <laughs> soon, soon. Church, we can't just go through the motions. If you're, if you're that person that is like, I just can't wait to find something to do, got to get involved. <laughs> Chances are you're trying to find and fill a void of worth and value that that thing to do is probably not going to do it. It's probably going to lead to another thing that you need to do. And then you're going to leave a trail of empty volunteer positions for Chelsea to help Pastor Matt fill. <laughs> because it was never about that. You were just looking for something to fill the void that ultimately point number one, not letting good things get, get in the way of the main thing, Together, if we're going to get a good letter, we need to remember why we're doing what we're doing, and we need to move forward with purpose. God gave me gifts and abilities. Why? Because God loves me. God infinitely cherishes each, each one of you. He loves you. He's equipped you for the perfecting of each other, for the work of the ministry. Like, this is insane. We have an avenue, the church. Why do we gather? Well, all this stuff too. Hey, let, let's, let's remember why we're doing it and then let's move forward with those areas of service. Let's not just do something for the sake of doing it. How do, listen, do you go to work? Do you just, some of you may, I don't know. Do you just get out of bed and go to work? <laughs> we work at home, that's a bad example, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right, maybe we've been on this pits of marriage a little bit. What about for a date, a special night? You're like, well, that was 10 years ago. Next illustration. <laughs> Come on, hubbies, man. All right, I have all the ladies that looked at me cross. And I, I'm going to remember them. I'll write them all down, and I'm going to send you husbands a text, okay? Uh, take your wife on a date. Preaching to the choir here. It's not something that you want to wing. I mean, if you're a woman, right? 
just watching my wife, you know, it's like the whole day thinking about it, sending a text, preparing. I mean, I hope y'all, you know, brush your teeth, get out that date night outfit. You prepare for the night because it means something. It's important. You know, Christ died for the church. He gave himself for it. We're the bride of Christ. And we give no preparation to the work of the church. We're doing good just to roll up in here without our teeth brushed. I'm here. Say something. Say something about how I look. I'm going to kick you. I mean, and I'm, look, trust me, I'm glad everybody's here. I'm so excited. Like, I, just to have this many people here, I'm like, I'm like a little kid. I'm like going to give everybody candy just for coming. <laughs> Being dumb. I'm just like, man, I'm excited. People are coming to church again. But, but watch, how much better? How do we get a better letter? Four don'ts. What if we actually prepared for this? What if, what if we prepared our heart? Do prepare your heart before you come. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If we prepared our heart to meet the Lord and we presented our bodies when we are here, and then after, what do we do? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, and we promote the kingdom of God, how much better? I'm I'm, we're getting a gold star in our letter. <laughs> That's what we're getting. Lord's going to send us a letter with a gold star. Why? Prepare your heart before you come. Present your body to the Lord when you're here, and promote the kingdom of God when you go. Those are three do's that, hey, guess what? We're going to get there. And we're going to get there together. We are a family. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Church, we got to do this thing together. I don't really want to get a sour letter like those other dudes. I want to get a good one. So let's focus on some of these things that we don't do, but let's leave with the things that we should do. Next week when you come, when we gather next week, prepare your heart. Be present and promote the kingdom of God this week as you go. And I promise you, if you run that cycle, when you get here, you'll be ready. We'll be ready to go. Every head bowed, every eye closed.